Hello and welcome to Management Cast, where some of the brightest minds in the business world explain the commercial concepts shaping industry today. This week, we're continuing our set of special episodes for Pride Month, and I'm joined by Robert Hoiberg. Good morning, Robert. Good morning. Robert, before we get into the episode, it'd be great to have an introduction to what you do at IMD, uh, what your position is, a little bit about yourself. I'm a professor of organizational behavior at IMD already for 23 years. I focus in the area of leadership, organizational behavior, team building negotiations. And I've also very much become very interested in LGBTQ issues. Now, Robert, you say you've become very much interested in LGBTQ issues. When we were talking about having this episode, one of the questions I asked you was why? And you, well, you gave an interesting response. Tell me a bit about what you thought was inherent in that question. I have had that question before, and there seems to be an underlying assumption that as a heterosexual white male, why would you care about LGBTQ issues? And I think it's very interesting because in the question then, it's basically saying that unless you are represented by one of the letters, then why would you care? And I think we should all care because... Certainly from a societal perspective, but especially from a business perspective, is we want to give people the full opportunity to develop and deploy their talents and their potential. And whether I'm a white heterosexual male or a gay black man, it doesn't matter. I think it's about creating an environment where everybody can flourish and we should all be interested in that. And you mentioned there, you know, some of these markers, you're talking about white heterosexual male Markers, which in our discussion you were talking about as, you know, markers of your own privilege. Can you tell me when, when you first started thinking about these markers as being something that were at play in the workplace for you? So the very first time that I really was confronted with that was in 1992, when I had just received an offer to become an assistant professor at the University of Michigan Business School. And as part of that, I had to attend a mandatory diversity training. And in my youthful arrogance, I was like, you know, why? Who cares? But then when I went there, I was put in a group and we did lots of things. But the one that stands out for me, I was put in a group with a woman of color, a man of color and a white woman. And we got the very simple question, what would you be concerned about on day one of your teaching? And I was thinking about how would the students like me? Would they like the topic? How engaged would they be? Things like that. The other three people all were concerned and worried about whether the students thought they would be legitimately there, whether they would have credibility as a professor. Basically, would they be taken serious? And that was based on their outward appearance, whether they were a person of color or a woman. And that was the first time I was really confronted with, wow, this I never worried about. And maybe that was my arrogance, or maybe it's just something that I didn't have to worry about, that I would already get credit, legitimacy, and credibility just for being who I was, separate from how I would perform, or what my abilities were, or my competencies were. So that was the very first time I was confronted with, even though we didn't use that language at the time, of my privilege, because clearly that sets me up in a much more positive way in terms of engaging with the students in that audience. And, you know, you're talking about that happening in 1992. 
you know, it's more than 30 years ago now that you were having these conversations with yourself, you were having these thoughts. Obviously, things have progressed. Tell me a little bit about what you've seen in terms of that progression and how these things are treated differently. I think there's been quite a bit of progress, I think, in the sense the U.S. academic institutions were there much earlier than some of the European academic institutions. I think issues around gay and lesbian members of the workforce have made a lot of progress. I think there's still progress to be made in other areas like transgender or queer. But progress has been made. That said, I kind of repeated the experiment that I just told you about when teaching EDNI, Equity, Diversity and Inclusion, for a program of IMD in Singapore, an open program. Open program meaning people from different companies participate. And I kind of did the same exercise and I asked them, what do you see when you see me? I did this without introducing myself. And what attributes do you attribute to me? And they were all positive, very nice, you know, smart, knowledgeable, experienced, senior, that may be by gray hair, but still there were lots of positive attributes. And then I asked them, if you were in my shoes standing in front of an audience yourself, what do you think people would see? What attributions would they make to you? And what would you be concerned about? And in a sense, it was the same as 1992. Most of those people are still concerned as to whether others would find them credible or legitimate. So in that sense, those issues are still there. And that's also why I think that on the one hand, we have made a lot of progress on the diversity side of the EDNI abbreviation. But I think there's still a lot of progress to be had in terms of inclusion and equity. And that's very interesting where you're splitting those up thinking about them in very different ways, because I think a lot of people think of this as a panacea. As long as you have a certain amount of people from a certain background, you know, you fixed whatever issues there may be in a workplace. I'm struck by a story you told me coming into this conversation about your son and your son's background and the experience he has had at work. Would you mind elaborating a little bit on that? No, clearly, even though the letters of LGBTQ do not apply to me as an individual myself, my son is transgender, and I have seen through his eyes and through his experiences still the incredible biases and even hate that he encounters. And what that highlights also for me is when I see him trying to fit in at work, how much energy that costs, the concerns about will I be found out, will I be treated as an individual, will I be treated with respect, and those worries consume an inordinate amount of emotional and intellectual energy that then as a consequence is not deployed for his development or for the potential of the organization. And that's one. And I think the other one, I think what you are referring to is an incident that he had at work, although incident is an understatement. One of his colleagues was a gay man, a waiter in this establishment where my son works as a cook. And one of the clients basically said, I do not want to be served by a gay person. And I'm giving you the super polite version of what happened. And he saw my son associating with this guy 
And then later he's told him, I do not want to be touched by you or greeted by you or served by you or talked to you. And my son is like, well, I'm in the kitchen, so I don't care about you. But then one time he came into work and conformed what the guy had asked, did not say hello to him. He was kind of a regular. And then the guy got furious. Why don't you say hello to me? And actually slapped him in the middle of the restaurant. And to my son's credit, which I quite admire, he did not strike back. I mean, this gentleman was 70, 75 years old, to be estimate. So he could have easily taken him out, but did not. And what this is, of course, a crucial moment then for the management of the establishment. And what I'm really proud of is that they stood up for him. They called the police. They showed the CCTV tapes to the police. They made sure this man is now barred from any restaurant or bar in the town where my son works. So the police took strong steps. The management stood up for my son, made sure he was okay. And even, I must say, and this still brings tears to my eyes, the real top manager actually said they got him a round of applause that evening. And I think also for his restraint in not reacting. And then the boss who owns the restaurant and many more restaurants also wrote personally to this customer that he was never, ever welcome in any of his establishments again, including the ones that are even in other towns in the area. So on the one hand, that was a very positive experience. Of course, you wish you would never have to go through that. But yeah, so you can see there's still a lot of bias is an understatement, actual hate out in the world that I don't have to deal with personally, but I think people in the LGBT community are probably much more familiar with. And if you're always worried about being found out, being treated badly, that takes up a lot of negative energy. Robert, that is a very serious, and as you say, a great understatement to call it an incident. I really hope your son is okay. It sounds as though there was a positive reaction in that workplace, in his workplace, to support him. But you told me before that this wasn't the first incident that had happened relating to his gay colleague. That is correct. I think what happened first was when this customer said, I don't want to be served by people like them. The guy was quite offensive. And, you know, in restaurants, we have quite young people working. The head waitress is, I think, 21 or 22. So they were all a bit flustered when this first happened. And the first time the response was more, well, let let one of the other waitresses handle this. But I think to the credit of the gay guy, he, two days later, together with my son, they said, look, this is not how we expect to be treated, certainly not by the customers, but we also expect you as the management to stand up for us and also to protect us. I gave him a lot of credit because that guy is, I don't know, 21, 22 himself. Those are serious issues and certainly at any age difficult to deal with, but certainly when you're that young. And I think that incident and him speaking up And also speaking up for my son, my son have enough to deal with already. If we then still have to worry about you standing up for us, that's even worse. And I think they they took that to heart. So when this incident happened, I think in a sense, they were ready to act much more prepared than they were beforehand. 
And look, neither my son, nor me, nor the other guy blamed them. And actually, we're very pleased that they were open to the feedback and learned from it. And for me, that in a microcosm, I think is a really nice representation of, I think, lessons we can all take from this. We will make mistakes. We will not always stand up for our values in the right way. We will not always stand up for others in the right way. But as long as we're willing to learn and to immediately apply, then I think we can make really quick progress in the workplace. Now, that does require that we have an environment in which people like the gay waiter and my son feel that they can address these issues, can bring up these issues in a safe and trusted environment to the management so that action can be taken. And I think if those variables are in place, where people who feel threatened or mistreated feel they can speak up, that they have a listening ear, that they are heard, then I think we can make very quick progress in the workplace where people can focus on developing themselves, where they can focus on contributing to the workplace, and then everybody will benefit and will have a more I think, holistic, fun and inclusive workplace for everyone. Absolutely. And Robert, you've spoken a lot there about the kind of environment that we collectively can create in workplaces to make it, as you say, more fun, more holistic. What part does EDNI specific training play in this? It's crucial. I think what we have learned over the last five, six, seven years is that I think we're making quite a bit of progress on diversity because especially on visible diversity in terms of having some numbers having some targets but if you bring diversity in and you don't create an environment where they feel included for who they are then you will not get the benefits of that diversity so the attention needs to go to how do we create an environment where people feel trusted where they can speak up, where they can be themselves, where they feel they belong. So that's a lot on the behavior of the colleagues, how we address each other, how we approach each other, how we talk even as benign things as how we talk about the weekend, right? So that's one. And on the equity side, more on the systemic side, we can also really think through how do we really encourage people, first of all, to join our organization, so that we reach out to the more diverse populations, number one. And number two, how do we make sure people have equitable opportunities in the organization to deploy and display their talents? The simplest example already for me, or two simple examples is, if someone's in a wheelchair, can they really access every part of our buildings and of our campus, of our facilities, right? Just simple access so that they don't have to worry about not reaching places or getting places. And that's one simple way of thinking through equity. Another one, an example I really like was about this female doctor who was just say very short, I think one meter 45 or something. And you have to imagine that made it very difficult for her to operate, even though she was an excellent surgeon, simply because the operating table was, or the person on the operating table, was above her height. 
And a simple thing like a stepladder was then brought in. In the beginning, the head of surgery had that idea, which was already good. And finally, they made the simple solution to put a little stepladder in every operating room. And I think that highlights several things. First of all, we can do simple things to allow people to really display their talents, whether they're challenged in height or mobility or other things. And there are simple solutions so that they don't have to ask for it. Because if they every time have to ask for the stepladder, then you are highlighting their difference all the time, which is not comfortable. So for me, both as an actual example, but also as a metaphor, I think the stepladder is quite a powerful example of how we can build equity in organizations. And when you speak there about highlighting difference, in Pride Month, where we're doing these special episodes, there is a heightened importance of understanding that people both are different and want to be recognized for their difference in a positive way. The first thing I think about is the correct pronouns, using correct pronouns in the workplace and the importance of that. Robert, how do you deal with workplaces that you've been in where you may have people of coming from very different backgrounds, very different generations, some of whom perhaps aren't as up to date on the approach when it comes to the use of pronouns. Perhaps they don't want to engage with the pronouns that someone is using. How do you deal with that kind of thing in the workplace? First of all, I had to learn it myself, starting about seven, eight years ago, to go from she to he for my son. And it took a while. Now it comes much more natural. So let's first acknowledge there is a learning curve. I'm a little bit older, so, you know, this was never, you know, on the agenda, on the table when I was growing up. So we need to give people the space also to learn. But then again, we should also expect them to do the learning and to do start using the correct pronouns for people. And my son put it very nicely. It's like, if we can learn how to spell and say names like Dostoevsky or Tchaikovsky or my own last name, Hoiberg, which you know yourself is not easy to pronounce or spell, then I think we can learn to you know, address people with the correct he, she, they. And I think in all of the things we have to do in business, in life, this is pretty simple. This is pretty straightforward. Let's not pretend this is some huge mountain to overcome. I think we have many more difficult issues in business. So the pronouns should really be the least of our concerns in terms of learning them, take the time to do it, fail a few times, but then make sure you get consistent and show the respect for the people to whom these pronouns really make a huge difference are super important. It's an, an easy thing to learn. It's an easy thing to apply. And it's a great way to show a respect for the way in which some people are different from the way we are. Absolutely. And Robert, do you see allyship and the ability to create this inclusive environment as something that you're growing? Is it something that you grow personally in yourself? And how do you bring people on board without making them feel like the bad guy? Some people will feel as though a finger is being pointed at them. The ultimate goal is to bring everybody on side so that the entire workplace can benefit. Let's start with the very simple one. It's a journey. It's about growing. And let's just be clear that the journey will never stop. So it's a continuous 
learning journey. I'm on that journey and people will be at different stages of that journey, number one. Number two, there's a great picture that says, my moral superiority from up here is quite easy, right? So when we look down from up high, it's easy to feel a sense of moral superiority, but life happens on the ground, life happens in daily interactions, and we all make mistakes. So in terms uh, of allyship, if you address someone with the wrong pronoun, I'm not going to call you out en plein public, but I may come up to you after and say, hey, John Joe, look, I noticed this is what you did. Can you please pay attention to it? Because it has a negative impact on the environment, right? So I think it's a lot in how we share our perceptions and the impact that those things have. That's one way of showing allyship. It's being there, being willing to listen. I think you also have to be careful not to take over people's battles because that's quite paternalistic. So it's a balancing act on that sense as well of being there, being supportive, not taking over. So there's lots of balancing acts. And yeah, I think the best thing I can say for everybody is several things. First of all, show respect yourself. The one thing you can control for sure is how you behave towards others. The basic premise is people are there because they deserve to be there in the business sense and merit sense. I would say be curious, be open to learning, be willing to make mistakes because I think another concern is that we become so scared that we start avoiding interacting with people who are different for fear of saying politically incorrect things. And then that would be even worse in the sense that we would start isolating them more. Be willing to make mistakes, but then also be willing to be corrected and be willing to learn and make sure that learning really shows in the way in which you behave. So that's a long way of saying is be there, learn, be curious, be willing to change and help people get to a point where they can focus on developing and deploying their potential and then everybody will benefit. Robert, thank you so much for your time. I think that's a great place to stop. I'd like to thank you for coming on to the show. You're welcome. Thank you. Robert Hoiberg is Professor of Organizational Behavior at IMD, and his areas of interest include leadership, negotiations, team building, and digital transformation. 